When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Women's impact on their time and their circumstances is often so hard to measure because it exists in these kind of social spaces. It exists in these gaps in the archive and... It was really a pleasure to go back and find what these women had written to each other and to read letters and memoirs that really bore out this sense that heterodoxy was, you know, a a politically engaged space, but also just a place where really lifelong friendships were forged. That was historian Joanna Scutz talking about heterodoxy, a women's club that flourished in New York City starting in 1912. She reveals its secrets in her new book, Hotbed, Bohemian Greenwich Village and the Secret Club that Sparked Modern Feminism. I'm Alain Verveer, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. In Hotbed, Joanna Scutz tells how heterodoxy brought together women with a passion for ideas and activism and fostered not only feminism and suffrage, but also other social movements like workers' rights and racial justice. Scutz is a literary critic and a cultural historian with a focus on women in the early 20th century. Her previous book was The Extra Woman, how Marjorie Hillis led a generation of women to live alone and like it. Listen and learn why Joanna Scutz and the women of heterodoxy are among Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. I'm speaking today with historian and author Joanna Scutz. Welcome, Joanna. I'm so looking forward to our conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it, too. Well, you've written a book about heterodoxy, 
a secret club for women in Greenwich Village in the 1910s. Tell us about this club and why was it secret? So Heterodoxy was a social and a discussion club. Um, There were lots of these in Greenwich Village at the time. It was a very um, kind of active community of lots of idealistic people. And what had made heterodoxy distinct was the fact that it was only for women. And the secrecy uh, had a couple of functions. I think the one that the members remember was the idea that it was so that they had space to doubt and disagree, so that if they were arguing, they wouldn't be stereotyped as um, disagreeable women, uh, but that they would be able to kind of um, argue and shape and change their opinions. I also think that the club was uh, quite a personal space um, for a lot of the women. One of the members remembered that the members thought that they covered the whole ground, but really we discussed ourselves. So I think because there was a lot of blending of the personal and the political, that really affected what they, you know, what they wanted to share and, and the secrecy gave them freedom. So fascinating. And did the club have impact? I'm wondering who some of the very famous names associated with it were. Yeah, it's um, it's a it was a club for prominent women um, when it uh, it was sort of an open secret uh, when it started to be written about and written up. The idea was often that a lot of the women were already well known in their day. Um, Not that many of them have sort of continued to be sort of popularly known, but some of the famous names include uh, Charlotte Perkins Gilman, who we know best now as a novelist. Uh, She wrote The Yellow Wallpaper, Um, but she also was a very prominent social theorist and economist, and she's sort of one of the bigger names. Um, Then a couple of the other women that I write about a lot in the book include Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, who was a a young organizer with the IWW, the Industrial Workers of the World, and Rose Pastor Stokes, who was also a very prominent socialist activist. And they were sort of the two most notorious figures in the club. Um, There was also a very creative side to the club, uh, a lot of artists and writers in the group. Uh, Susan Glaspell, who was one of the main founders of the Provincetown Players, the avant-garde theatre club. Um, She was also a member when she arrived in Greenwich Village. So it was a real nexus of creativity and politics. Oh, to be a fly on the wall for those conversations. You describe the women in the book as new women. How were they different from, let's call them, the old women? Uh, the early suffragists and activists like names we know so well, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, how were they different from each other? So the club, um, it did include a range of, of ages. It wasn't just a young women's club, but certainly I know uh, you're asking more about the sort of uh, attitudes and um, and approaches. Mm-hmm. The new women, uh, they were a sort of a social phenomenon. Um, they were kind of discussed and derided the way that, uh, millennials, you know, probably have, have also spent, you know, the last 20 years being, being talked about in this way. Uh, new women, even in, at this time were, were not that new, but they sort of represented women who had been highly educated, were advocating for their rights, but they did, they were doing so in a different way. They weren't embracing the idea of uh, kind of the 
the more Victorian approach of uh, the older suffragists who argued that women needed the vote because women were sort of morally superior to men and they were very wedded to the idea of sort of feminine decorum. These were women, uh, the new women were the women who were willing to be out in public unaccompanied. They wanted to march and be visible. Um, one of the most famous women at the time who's in the club was a young activist called Inez Holland, who um, tragically died very young, but she was a real celebrity, one of the first suffragists to be photographed, to be asked about her fashion choices, um, you know, to be really a kind of a byword for this modern looking, forward thinking kind of new generation of activists. Interesting. And how was the women's feminism of these women tied to other social movements of the early 1900s, if it was tied? It certainly was. The, um, the women, uh, so the group was meeting in Greenwich Village, um, which at the time in the 1910s was really this epicenter of activism in all different arenas. Um, a lot of the women were very involved in the labor movement and the socialist uh, activism of the time. Um, so the IWW, the Wobblies were, uh, were really a very prominent force in, um, in labor activism and left-wing politics at the time. The group was also pretty closely involved with the NAACP, which was founded in 1909 in the village. And heterodoxy is unusual for social clubs of this era in that it wasn't entirely segregated. It had uh, one African-American member who was the wife, uh, Grace Nail Johnson. She was the wife of James Weldon Johnson, who was a, an extremely accomplished activist and a very prominent figure. And she was invited to join the club um, a little later in its founding. So they, there was very close ties uh, between heterodoxy and sort of really any socially progressive movement in New York and and on the national stage. Um, suffrage was uh, went without saying, but it was definitely a group of women who believed that the vote was just the beginning. Mm -hmm. And were these feminists that you mentioned, you mentioned some of the names. Uh, I'm wondering, as you ticked off their names, many of them perhaps are mostly forgotten or overlooked, but can you tell us a little bit about some of them? Absolutely. Um, it was one of the, the pleasures and the challenges of researching this book that I kept thinking that this roster of women, which uh, was around about 100 women over the course of the club's existence, surely there would be some who were just, you know, sort of forgotten and just showed up at two occasional meetings, but didn't really leave a mark on history. But that really wasn't the case. Sort of everybody that I researched had uh, sort of multiple interests. There were women um, who were acclaimed and esteemed writers at the time. One of the women who's sort of forgotten now but uh, deserves some rehabilitation is uh, Catherine Antony, who was a feminist biographer. Um, she wrote biographies of prominent women like Elizabeth I and Marie Antoinette and these kind of uh, Catherine the Great, I believe. And she sort of approached that with a distinctive feminist lens. Um, so the idea of women recovering and writing about other women's lives, um, that was something that was, was happening in this group. 
the founder of heterodoxy, who I who I should mention, was uh, a woman named Marie Jenny Howe. She was a suffragist and a feminist um, who pulled the club together after she arrived in New York. Um, she was already in her early 40s at the time. She wasn't herself a kind of young activist, but she was very connected to the city politics and the suffrage movement. And she was a really creative thinker and it had an extraordinary gift, it seems, for bringing people together and facilitating and fostering friendship. Uh, she's remembered with enormous affection by all the women in the club. And one of the things that I really wanted to do in the book was think about how history remembers and doesn't remember women and the ways that women's impact on their time and their circumstances is often so hard to measure because it exists in these kind of social spaces. It exists in these gaps in the archive. And it was really a pleasure to go back and find what these women had written to each other and to read letters and memoirs that really bore out this sense that heterodoxy was, you know, a, a politically engaged space, but also just a place where really lifelong friendships were forged. And they were women who were really leaders in their times in terms of what the future would bring. And yet, I think it's not just certainly the case of these women, but so many throughout history who have not gotten the acknowledgement for their achievements. Hopefully that's changing now. And books like yours really do spotlight them. I wanted also to uh, give a, a little shout out to one of my subjects, uh, Crystal Eastman, who is a really important figure who's been very much historically uh, overshadowed by her younger brother, Max, who was uh, a very you know prominent figure in left-wing politics and outlived her by by many decades. Uh, but she, Crystal, was a co-founder of the ACLU. Um, she was involved in labor organizing. She was involved in suffrage. And she was extremely prominent locally and nationally in the peace movement and the opposition to World War One. That time, that period, was really a fractious one for the club. There were women who believed that the United States should enter the war. There were many others who believed that it was a destructive and suicidal endeavor and that women's, it was really women's job to oppose it with all their force. And so she's just got so many pieces of her biography and such, a, um, such an extraordinary impact in these different areas. And she had a, a wonderful biography, it was written about her, I think, um, now three years ago. And so finally, people, women like that are, are coming out of the shadows and getting the attention that they deserve. And I hope there are so many other subjects. If anyone is looking for a wonderful woman to write a biography about, um, please come and uh, look, at my <laughs> look at my book, because there's so many women still with stories to tell. Yeah, so many trailblazers that we really need to know more about and, and take for granted in terms of what they've done to pave the way. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today. 
by visiting musicgives.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Well, let's talk a little bit about you, Joanna. What was your upbringing like and what set you on the path that you're on being a historian? Were you always curious about uh, what happened in the past? Well, as you can probably tell, I'm not a native New Yorker. Um, I was raised in London and I was always you know, aware sort of the history and presence of history just in the sort of built environment of, of London is it's everywhere. And so I was curious, but um, I think when I went to, I went to Cambridge for my undergraduate education and there it's really striking the weight of history and the and the lack of women in it um my college is celebrating 50 years uh, of admitting women this year and my college was founded in 1441 so it's really you know those kinds of moments really bring home to you how recent women's inclusion and women's involvement has has been in sort of national uh, just access to to history and so i've really felt I, I kind of have come to history through literature. I studied literature and was always just interested in both in books themselves, but in the circumstances of their production and the women writers who were just not there on the syllabus or not there in the libraries. And I have really sort of in the last few years devoted myself to trying to explore and uncover those neglected stories. So wonderful to hear. You helped a plan and launch the Center for Women's History at the New York Historical Society. So you've been keeping at this interest of yours. What is so special about the center? Tell us about it. So the center opened in 2017, and it was the first dedicated center of women's history within the walls of a major museum. And our, our goal was really to just to have a, a permanent space that put women's experiences at the center of the story instead of having them be something that was an afterthought or a temporary inclusion just for, you know, one month of the year. And the space of the center, the physical space includes um, a gallery, 
with rotating exhibitions, but there's also um, the center really serves as this kind of hub of scholarship. Um, it's really a place where anyone interested in the history of women in New York can come, can find research support, can find community. And we've also worked very hard to expand the curriculum for younger students uh, to try to make sure that school children are growing up with the awareness that women are just are always in the picture, are always part of the story. And I think that that work is really vital to helping to sort of change those narratives and understanding that just because you haven't heard of somebody that they didn't have an impact and that their story isn't worth telling. Um, the people that we've heard of are such a very small, a small group and also such a, uh, you know, that, that group is very selective. Um, and so it's very important, I think, to me to just kind of try to widen, you know, widen those, those stories and introduce visitors and students to all the wonderful women and women's stories that they just haven't heard. Indeed, and and so wonderful that finally the center uh, exists at the New York Historical Society, and how fitting that it does, I might add. As an historian, certainly you're aware of some of the issues of the past that we're confronting some similar issues today, and I I wonder, given that sense of history telling us about today and tomorrow, what makes you optimistic? Uh, what gives you hope for the future? Well, I certainly think that the sense of uh, the sense that there is history, that there are issues in history that are we're still fighting over today, um, that in itself doesn't inspire a great deal of optimism. It can feel like uh, exhausting that we haven't moved further forward and moved beyond these kinds of arguments. Uh, but I do think we're in a moment where understanding the importance of history, the politics of history, I think those, uh, those are becoming very obvious. Um, and I think to a new younger generation of, of students uh, are growing up knowing that uh, perhaps the stories they're being told are not the full story. Um, and I think that there's, you know, there's more access than ever to information. And if, uh, if we can find ways to filter it and sort of help help people find kind of what's true, I mean that's a that's a very big challenge. But I do think there's an interest in questioning what uh, what we're being taught, and I hope that that leads you know leads everyone, young people, but really everyone, leads them to think think about why you haven't been told a certain story. What what is the you know, if you are hearing about a, a particular argument or theory or personality for the first time, uh, what's that about? You know, where do these, who, who's in charge of, uh, of kind of telling us what the stories are? I, it feels like a moment where history is being seen for its really, for its vitality, but also for its, um, for its gaps and oversights. Um, and I hope that that brings, you know, a new, set of readers to uh to discover what you know, what academics are doing and what um what popular writers are trying to do to just kind of uh show how history is relevant today and i do think the I, the days of history being seen as uh, some kind of dusty irrelevant uh story i think those days are definitely behind us um so i hope that 
students are inspired to study and pursue history and realize how vibrant and how relevant it is. Well, you've certainly inspired us today, and I know I'm speaking for so many of our listeners. And thanks to your book, we are able to better understand the achievements of these great women in the early 1900s and what they mean to our own history. So, Joanna Scutz, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much. How wonderful to shine a light on those almost forgotten women who made such a difference. Here are three things I took from that conversation. First, it's always fascinating to hear how the women's suffrage movement evolved over time. The women in the heterodoxy were so-called new women. They rejected earlier notions of how women should behave in public. They were willing to make themselves seen and heard and to march for their rights. Second, heterodoxy reminds us that human rights don't exist in isolation. The club's members were involved in issues like labor rights, racial justice, and the international peace movement. Finally, as Joanna Scutz tells us, these feminists drew strength from the connections they made in heterodoxy. Through the club and its intense discussions, they forged lifelong friendships. Tune in next time to hear about our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Have a great day. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. 